Hello, everyone. Welcome to Collisions YYC Current and Critical. I'm your host, Tyler Chisholm. Thank you for joining me today for another good old-fashioned chat. Today's show is brought to you in partnership with Clearmotive Marketing. Thank you to my business partner, Chad Croker, and the entire team who worked tirelessly behind the scenes to make this show a reality. As a founding partner at Clearmotive, I'm excited to announce the official launch of our industrial marketing system. As a company with 15 plus years of experience with a variety of clients in nearly every sector, we identified that industrial manufacturing companies were underserved. You have unique needs, and we have developed a unique skill set to help you succeed. If you build and sell a product that helps other companies, we have developed an industrial marketing system to get your highest priority product in front of your ideal customer profile in less than eight weeks. Gardner recently reported that your buyers are 87% of the way through their buying process before contacting your company directly. That means it's never been more critical to apply the right marketing process to create and close more deals. Our three-stage industrial marketing system helps you shorten your sales cycle by using modern marketing tactics designed specifically for your industry and more importantly, for the way your clients like to buy. Stop sitting on the sidelines wondering which part of your marketing is working and put a system in place that makes it easy for your most valuable prospects to find you and get excited about your solution to their challenges. To find out more about what ClearMotive's industrial marketing system can do for you, please check us out at www.clearmotive.ca IMS, or better yet, open up your email and contact me directly at tyler at clearmotive.ca, T-Y-L-E-R. I'm excited to chat with you and put a plan in place to get your most valuable leads contacting you and not your competitors. Hello and a warm collisions YYC. Welcome to Mr. Jay Gohill. And sorry, did I pronounce? Did I get that right, Jay? I'm sorry. I should. I, I always do a pre-flight check on the name, and I didn't this time. Is that? Is that? Did I yeah, get the pronunciation? Jay, Jay right? Gohill. You got it right. <laughs> Jay Gohill. Jay, thanks for coming on the show. You're CEO at R Curve, and you guys got on my radar recently. And like everything with this show, I get introduced, or someone's like, "Hey, you know, who you should talk to." So before I've just been introduced to you guys in a little bit, and the more I've talked around, the more I realize how many people I know and how many companies I know actually have worked with you guys, including my wife. She's like, oh, those guys are great. I work with so-and-so. So um, best kept secret maybe for me, but not for the rest of Calgary. So let's start with a quick elevator pitch. Tell us what's our curve all about, what do you guys do, and you know the problems you solve in the world, and then let's, uh, let's unpack it from there. Well, well, first of all, you're right. The best kept secret is, uh, ten, tends to be the thing that we, we struggle with and challenge with. We're busy doing the work and uh, don't spend a whole lot of time talking about ourselves, but we've been around since... 2006 just celebrated 15 years in business um the organization is built really around technology services and providing teams to execute on your digital and technology vision as an organization so and that could be anybody really from startups to uh you know you've got an idea with your friend at starbucks and you want to put something together uh to you know large-scale enterprises who want to move their organizations to more digital uh, and technology-ready platforms. And so we go in there, we uh, design, we analyze, we uh, architect, and then we build and execute and help you deliver that piece of technology or solution. And that can mean a lot Jay, just curious, cut you off a little bit, uh, or jump in, I'm curious question. 2006 sure. to now, that split between the back of the napkin ideas, like, did you guys get started more with big companies having a problem that needed to be filled? Or did you start with the smaller projects and kind of work your way? Like, just curious what it was 
10, what was the split kind of 10 years ago versus what it is now? Just kind of getting an idea how that landscape has shifted since you guys started. Because 15 years, you've been through a few cycles. Yeah, we've been through many cycles. And so, yeah, we, there's a whole topic of, of dealing with the ups and downs of having a company that was founded in Calgary. But when we well, first yeah. started... Well, well, yeah, we'll, we'll put a pin in that one. Because, like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think everyone's going, oh, yeah, tell me about it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> everybody's comment. got a story. But, but I think one of the things that we started out with was the intention of really what software was in its state of maturity at the time and what technology would okay. be in the state of maturity for most enterprise organizations, most of the clients that we had worked with prior to founding the company. And what we knew at that point in time was a, a very good talent put together in very collaborative teams would, would execute and deliver something uh, that, that worked. And, and I think we didn't see that a whole lot. So that was the f foundational um, tenant of the organization, but our client base really that started out with with what what I would characterize as mid-sized enterprise organizations that had a lot of spreadsheets or had a lot of processes that were sort of half baked in the in in uh, adopting technology, and that that's where we we came in and we we delivered things. And and historically, fifteen years ago, even twenty years ago. There's a lot of technology projects that failed, large-scale ones for, for enterprises, and we really thought, yeah, you know, there's a better way of doing that. And, and so uh, we proved it out. And so 15 years later, uh, as you said, many ups and downs. Uh, we started out with four founding members, and now we're, you know, 200 folks uh, across, uh, across North America now. So. Nice. Hey, just building off that comment about the majority of these big projects failed, a stat that's been thrown around the last couple of years, digital transformation, 76%, or I can't remember what, I think it's a McKinsey. It's a, yeah. love to put yeah. stats like that. It's a McKinsey, a McKinsey stat around that. Like it's some new phenomenon tied to digital transformation. What I'm hearing you say is like, no, 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 that's not a new phenomenon. Like these, these large scale software-based or technology shifts in how you do business, they've been failing for 15 years. That's not an, it always, that stat makes you think that this is just a new phenomenon because of quote unquote, another buzzword, digital, digital transformation, but that doesn't seem like you, that's not your, been your reality since 2006. That's, that's has been the reality, I guess is the case. Well, it's, al it's always been the reality. And I think the adoption of technology to make your business better, I think there was lots of great ideas, lots of, lots of, you know, you went from big enterprise ERP systems to, you know, line of business, you know, tools, applications, the onset of web, the onset of mobile. So all of those things have been happening for a long time. And that's, those are all transformational technologies, how you adopt them, how you enable them in your in your organization is the challenge, really. That's the biggest problem, and then this is where the failures come from. And then, yeah, they continue to happen. But I think with COVID and, and uh, this work from home has exasperated the situation, but also has forced uh, traditional organizations to say, we need this capability. And we need this capability okay. on platforms that are stable, reliable, um, consistent, uh, just like as we were experiencing some of our, 100 percent I just issues. wanted to damn well I just wanted to damn well work <laughs> work. work. Uh, I think the biggest part of that is that's where where we've seen the change, but it it's been going on for quite some time, and we've been telling uh, most of our clients, all of our clients is get ready for it. Uh, COVID just forced that issue uh, a bit more. So that they for, COVID was that accelerator. Yeah. Uh, curious on that same on that same train of thought. Who were your kind of who? 
who was your client 10 years ago versus who's your client now? And I guess what I'm asking, and, and maybe this is my own assumption, is were you working with the IT group? Were you working with more like you guys, like, hey, this some group in the organization went to IT and said, we need to solve a certain problem. Then they got you and you tackled it. Versus now, are you having more optics directly with the sales team or the ops team or the rev ops or with these different groups are going, hey, whoa, we need new technology. Yeah. yeah, we've got our IT that keeps us safe and runs our security, but we need to go out and find our own solutions. Has that shifted in any way or is that just my own kind of way I think that happened? Well, <laughs> I, well I think there's a bit of truth of shifting. Our, our original customers within any organization uh, was typically the line of business folks who would come in and say, okay. I think there's a better way to do this. I'm not sure. Right, and, and generally people didn't, you know, people don't have a fully architected or articulated solution coming coming into into these things. That's where we uh, initially, you know, found found uh, our initial customers. There was always an element of uh, the IT groups or IS groups, but those have also evolved quite a bit from you know 10 15 years ago so yeah they're now more like our customers but they're more engaged with the business than they've ever been back back okay. 10 years ago they were not they were they were service providers to their core business and so they weren't necessarily in the innovation or ideation space they were in the service space so now that's that's shifting you're getting more leaders who are more about what would you call transformation but how how what is it that I'm doing in my organization to help the business be better, more efficient, grow, whatever? Directly, directly, actually, sometimes correlated to revenue, right? Which has not been the case for IT, right? And that's also a, a place where we would separate ourselves from, right? This is really where yeah, we're, in service of the business yeah. versus an actual potential revenue generator or something that's going to increase efficiencies. Which ultimately, efficiency is another word for like it costs less to do the same thing we're doing before, so therefore it becomes more profitable. And that's an, I think, isn't that anybody like as a vendor, you want to be on that side of the balance sheet, right? Or that side of the P&L where you're like, well, we're actually responsible for driving revenue versus, you know, this is a necessary evil. And sometimes to be honest, HR gets put there. IT has got put there. Unfortunately, marketing as a marketer that gets put there sometimes as well. If you're doing it wrong, it should be there. If you're doing it right, well, it should be driving. And if you can't in the transparency that the digital world is even, you know, cast on marketing, all of a sudden, you know, what's working and what's not, or you certainly have a lot better chance of, of knowing than you did the good old 50% of my marketing is working. I just don't know which 50% <laughs> that old joke. So from your guys' perspective, you've seen a huge amount of shift and obviously you've been Calgary based, but you've got a wide reaching, you know, Calgary, Halifax, Houston, Vancouver. Just curious, you mentioned, you know, being a founded, a company founded in Calgary. When you look at those four different markets, and I love uh, when any leader's got a perspective, where do we rank? Where do we sit? A rank is maybe not the right word, but when you see what's going on in Houston or what's going on in Vancouver, uh, Halifax, let's like, let, we're almost like go side to side here a little bit. Um, what are you seeing? Like, what's the vibe? And is it kind of leveled out or is there some really significant differences before, between those four markets? Well, so looking at where where those came from. So if you think about the Houston market, we were uh, highly uh, involved in the oil and gas industry. We a lot of us came from that uh, background. So we had some technical um, and 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 specifically technical and engineering knowledge to put to those clients. So that's that's where we started. Houston was a a, a natural place to go. That market. Did you get? Was that a decision to strategically go there, or did you just get pulled, pulled or pushed there? We got, and I'm not we, saying that in a bad way. We got, <laughs> we got pulled there. 
Uh, yeah, yeah, okay. That's, that that was, makes a lot of sense. It was on our roadmap at some point in time. We just got pulled there. And, and so that happened in, in uh, 2012. Uh, and it, it made sense because there was parity around the clients and parity around the kinds of things that we could offer. You, you can't really compare the two cities in terms of technology ecosystems because there's so many other drivers in Houston. You know, it's a big logistics uh, hub. It has Austin, which is primarily the, the technology hub there. And so it's it's more, uh, it's a big industrial, uh, big uh, energy marketplace, and, and it's a great place to do business, but very different from what I would consider Calgary being. But the big comparatives, I, I thought when, when Calgary was moving into um, a more technology forward diversification strategy, Halifax was an interesting place to go and look. Now it's smaller concentration of people, um, smaller concentration of a downtown, but they spent a lot of time, I thought, uh, having a very cohesive message around their capabilities as a technology hub. Well, one, primarily the input uh, of all, all the academic institutions around Halifax, okay. not just not just Dalhousie, but the same area, St. FX, Acadia, everything around those places. And and everybody seemed to work together, and they still do. So there's organizations like Halifax Partnership, uh, Digital Nova Scotia, a bunch of organizations. And I thought, you know, it was a lesson learned for me to come back and say, you know, Calgary, Calgary just didn't have that. And I think it still struggles sometimes with a cohesive ecosystem. We have so many people participating in it. And they're all doing great work. It's just it, it, it's not always consistent, right? In its in its approach. So, so I think that that. So Halifax for you was that was that more about talent, it was, or was it? Yeah, was it, uh, yeah, it was definitely more about talent. talent. Yeah, and I'd heard a few companies, a few engineering firms I knew years ago uh, before the last downturn that had put set up offices out there. Like uh, it'd been on my radar specifically from a great way to put a team together. People, were, it was a little more stable, less people like leaving to go across the street for five bucks kind of mi- kind of mindset that was happening in Calgary, obviously over different cycles. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and it wasn't there wasn't the concentration, and here you got longer distances, larger spaces, and stuff. And then Vancouver was was a uh, similarly, it was a, a good market. Uh, for the types of clients we were looking for to diversify as we moved more into um, industries, manufacturing, logistics, the the lower mainland uh, uh, is is full of companies that are in that space, and then and then you also have the technology companies and and telcos and that kind of thing. So we we we, we diversified our, our our group of clients quite a bit, and and it turned out okay. it, it was a good place to hire people. <laughs> so we have a pretty large contingent of folks uh, that are working uh, remotely from uh, all, all, you know, e- everywhere on the island, all over, all over BC. So. Well, to tie back to your, uh, you know, force multiplier that COVID has created with a lot of acceleration. For sure. Uh, re- work remote wasn't, you guys didn't go to work remote because of COVID is what I'm hearing is that that's, and no. I have a lot of friends that work in the technology space and they're like, well, welcome to the way we've been working for the last 10 years kind of thing. Out of your 200, what percentage of, is anybody in the office or is everybody or, you know, is, I guess, is there an office? I'd like to maybe ask that question. So, uh, so we did have physical offices in, in most of our locations, but we, we, yeah, stopped using them over the last couple of years, and and so okay. we consider them hubs. Uh, our, we do have an office in Calgary, and uh, it's probably at this point we really haven't got anybody 
returning to work. So at this point, it would be less than ten percent. And we don't. We've left that option open. To your point, okay. You've always been a remote capable organization, but it has to do with the the team's ability to work. Uh, in this platform and be able to execute and deliver. And so we didn't really see much of a a hiccup in how we did that. And many of our clients uh, actually looked at us and said, hey, how do you guys do that? <laughs> because it's working. And so at the end of the day, uh, that continues to happen. I think one of the challenges with that, though, is, is there's a change in the culture. And so uh, when we look at it now, we have people... Uh, our Curvians, as we call them, um, that are spread out across the country um, and you know across North America at this point in time, uh, you know that that don't have the same flavor as we did when we were uh, you know physically all together. Of course. So. Well, this might be a nice segue. We've been having some technical difficulties, but I think I think I'm pretty sure we've got Joel Pollard on the line. Uh, Joel, how's your how's your audio on your end? I can hear you guys fine. Um, I have been able to. Can you guys oh, hear me? I thought- okay. Oh, here we go. Okay. We absolutely can. Well, uh, audience, I'd like to welcome Mr. Joel Pollard to the show. I think it's a perfect opportunity to segue in because Joel, you're Director of Talent, Talent Growth and Development at, at our Curve. So as we talk about talent, and I think I don't care what business you're in right now, the last two years has put this on your radar. And I love, Jay, what you said about well, a lot of clients reached out and just said, oh, hey, well, so this thing that, that, that's new, brand new to us that you've been doing for a while. So from the perspective of talent growth and development, how's the last couple of years been for you? What's your perspective on it? And how do you, how do you deal with exactly what Jay said? I think you know, we're dealing with it right now where I love remote and so does our team, but there's some differences and there's some things you really need to pay attention to that aren't just, they don't happen at the water, the water cooler conversations don't happen by accident. So Joel, I'll, I'll kind of let you jump in kind of mid, mid flow here. Yeah, for sure. Thanks. Thanks, Tyler. Um, it's, it's been an interesting run for sure. Uh, This position for us is relatively new. And I think to your point, the challenge we're seeing is that when COVID started, everyone was on the same page. We had to go home. It was the right thing to do. We were all working together. And now that we're at the stage that we're at now, there's a difference of opinion we're seeing in a lot of people. Some people are craving getting back into the office as soon as possible, while others are really enjoying this current situation and the way that it works. So finding that balance, that kind of services both sides of that argument is a challenge for sure. I think for those of us that I, I before this was, was never one that fully believed that uh, I would, I would enjoy working remotely. I've embraced it completely <laughs> at this point. And I think the challenge um, that it's posed is you have to be a lot more purposeful about your communication and your interactions. Um, like you said, the, the interstitial conversations that happened in the hallways or at the water cooler, so to speak, don't happen anymore. So to ha- to fill those gaps, you have to actively reach out to talk to people. And I think that that's uncomfortable at first as people were starting to get used to this. But once you embrace it, we've got a few people who have, who have stepped up and um, new to the company. One of our guys, he, he, he made a point of having a virtual video coffee with everyone in the organization just to say hi kind of thing. It takes more time. You have to be consciously deciding it. It's maybe not as convenient, but it's there. And I think that's the key for us is that the people who are into it will find ways to make it happen. And that's that's the culture, really. And that's what's carried over. We may not have the same social engagements. We may not have the ability to, you know, play foosball or whatever the the, the cool things are, but um making those connections and keeping those relationships, that's really the culture when you come down to it, right? 
No, I, I appreciate that. The, 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 the need to be deliberate and the need to be purposeful. It's funny. I had, I used to fly to Toronto and I'd take literally over the course of a couple of days, I would take most of the staff out for coffee. And I was like, oh, I'm just not doing that anymore. And my office manager, she's like, well, Tyler, why don't you just send them a coffee card just for fun and then just get on a call and chat with them. I'm like, wow, you know what? Wow. Wow. That seems so elusive all of a sudden. And all of a sudden I'm like, okay, wow, that seems pretty obvious. Yeah. <laughs> kind of kicking myself in the ass. Like, wow, so hard, Tyler, to just, you know, rather than the CEO booking a time in your calendar and you going, what the heck's about to happen? Hey, this is a coffee chat. I'm going to, I'm going to send you a $10 coffee card, whatever, just to, to make it, you know, be like you said, be very deliberate of like, this is just a chat. There's no other agenda. You don't need to prepare. You don't need a PowerPoint deck. It's okay. But being deliberate around that, I'm curious from a hiring perspective, now that we're seeing the divide, I guess of the, we're a back to work culture, we're a remote culture. Are you seeing opportunities for potential hires where they're like, Hey, the company I'm at is for, is quote unquote forcing me to go back to work. And I don't want to your remote and your very open culture is a value proposition to me. And maybe in your industry, that's not as prevalent because you guys, I think as a technology sector are, we're way more flexible before that's my belief, but I'm seeing it in our space where we're getting calls of, Hey, I heard you guys are remote. Um, I'm being forced back to the office five days and I don't want that at all. Can we chat? So I've got a couple of those, like, and that's a handful over the last week. So it's pretty anecdotal, but I was curious if you guys have seen anything like that so far. Yeah, we have for sure. Um, it's part of our value proposition for sure. And I think um, what we're seeing is people okay. are looking for what suits them. And flexibility is kind of the key. To your point, a lot of technical companies can offer remote work. Um, but the fact that we're embracing it, we don't see any need to change that. Um, it, it is something that is appealing to a certain segment of the, the workforce for sure. Yeah, I'm seeing that. Are you guys planning or thinking about, and if this hasn't been decided yet and we don't want to announce it to your team through a podcast, that's okay. Uh, bringing everybody together. Like we're all coming to Calgary. We're flying everybody in. Like I know I've, you know, you read some Silicon Valley stories about companies that have done that. Like, yeah, we're remote, but once a quarter we do this, or once a year we do a big blowout weekend. Is that something you guys have thought about? And if, and if that is not, if that's not at liberty to be discussed right now, that's cool too. <laughs> oh, oh yeah. Yeah. We, we have thought about it and it's already okay. starting to happen in smaller segments. So teams. Okay that are working together who've never met each other. So certain certain part of these teams that have been formed over the last uh, couple of years, um, they're organizing get together. So I'm actually, uh, uh, you know, being invited to some of these events and they're really being driven by the teams, which is a big part of the culture. I love that. I love that the CEO is being invited to their, <laughs> event. That's, I, I love that. That's, that's awesome. on like every level in my opinion. Well, sometimes I have a lot of FOMO and so there's, there's this, I try to, I try <laughs> to, we got to invite Jay. He's yeah, going to feel left yeah. out. <laughs> well, I try to weasel myself into every scenario. That's one aspect that's of it. <laughs> then as, as we go to the bigger events, we, we usually have a couple of two major events that we're going to re, um, uh, restart this year. And so, yeah, there'll, there'll be an opportunity to gather the, the troops together and, and get everybody together. Um, we just find like with, with the size of the organization now, it's very difficult to, uh, even, even in, in our company updates or organizational updates and stuff, it's very difficult to, to, to reach out and connect with folks. So we're trying to find, uh, ways that we can do that, but yeah, we'll, We'll, we'll definitely be doing that. We're going to be reopening our offices so people can come in and collaborate in this space. Um, so try to give more smaller opportunities to get together. And then, yes, we'll think about how that might might be a bigger event. 
right? So Well, and the argument is when you have a multi-city geography, even when people were in the office in Calgary and Halifax yeah. and Vancouver and Houston, you still had a gap. Like I would, oh, yeah. for years we had a, we had a team and we still have team we have a team in Toronto and in Calgary. There was always this little like, well, that was a Calgary thing or that was a Toronto thing. Like we were in the office, but there still was not everybody was in the office at the same time. So, you know, we were just going you know, to changing changing that landscape. Uh, I'm getting way in the weeds now because I'm curious and, and billable milestone driven uh, sprint base. When you guys are working on projects and like that whole adage of, like, Oh geez, I can't see my employees. I don't know if they're working, which is such a ridiculous, yeah. I, think, I think you've thinking about it all wrong. If that's your perspective on the world, but do you guys work on like, Hey, this is what's due. It's due by the end of the week. However you get it done is, is up to you. Don't let your team down and stay engaged. Yeah. Or are people figuring out, fi filling out timesheets on a daily basis? Just curious how you guys keep this machine moving forward. <laughs> I think it timesheets are not the answer. <laughs> well, so, so that's, that's an interesting yeah, that's a great question because I think there's a perspective that, that and, and early on I saw this with, with some of our clients and certainly with many of our larger enterprise organizations that we work with, have that idea is that I got to see people in order for me to understand that they're working. Our model is not really based on anything like a hierarchy. So it's team-based accountability. And so it's not about checking spreadsheets or checking... Uh, <laughs> you know, deliverables every day or anything like that. When a team is accountable to each other, then the output is basically a group, you know, or team-based uh, deliverable. And so each day they get together supporting each other to get things done. It's actually been the bread and butter of our success. Uh, you know, people always, you know, we have many clients say, I can't believe you guys actually got that done, which is an odd thing, but you hear that in technology projects all the time. And, and and it's really like construction projects, reno projects. <laughs> if it's a project, getting it done on time is a novelty, and getting it done on on or under budget is oh, also oh, an unheard oh, of novelty. situation. Right. And so I think part of that part of that reasoning is yeah, it, it's even how we hire people, how we construct. Like mm. like I said, I had left it to the teams to get together. Um, that decision is really about how they feel about each other and how they're going to work and support each other and really that's it I think it's a new model of working and people need to embrace that idea is that you need to trust trust the folks that you brought in that's why we you know we talk about talent we talk about growth it's really all of those people participating in that it's not top down or it's not education or training it's really about respect and accountability amongst each other really at the end of the day so that's what's been working and it's been working for 15 years. So, yeah, yeah, no, it's this is not. Yeah, this isn't just a novel concept, yeah. which I, which I, which I love. You've got some credibility in your statements, Jay. Joel, when you're hiring and you're working with a hiring manager, your team is is looking to recruit. Curious, like, how do you vet that? Because everyone's like, oh yeah, I want freedom until I have it, or I want autonomy until I'm like, I want until I want somebody to tell me what to do. And I think it is, the, you know, the success of so much, well, any culture is making sure you get the right hires and knowing what to look for and knowing what to ask. And one is knowing what your culture is at a strong enough position that you can look at someone and say, Hey, you're going to be a great fit or Hey, maybe you're awesome, but you're probably not the right fit for us. So Joel, when you look at your hiring practices and even as you're growing talent and people are working their way up in the organization or, or sorry, working their way across, cause you said it's not a hierarchy. What are some of the things you look for? Is that a really deliberate, like how deliberate are you guys with that? And I guess, how's that learning curve? been on making sure that we bring the right people into the fold that are actually a fit for our culture. 
Yeah, that's a great question. Um, we we are very. I try to be. We try to be very purposeful. Um, the recruiting process being what it is these days, it, it, everywhere, it's it's challenging to get to know people the way that you want to uh, in a short period of time. But we do look for characteristics that that do and, and, and that do symbolize the culture that we have, kind of thing. That's the most important thing, and we we treat it exclusively. Um, we're very picky about who we bring into the team, who we welcome mm-hmm. into the team, because to Jay's point, it's a team and they do function at that level of, of team-based accountability kind of thing. They make commitments together. Um, I heard a term recently, uh, or I read it actually, it was insecure overachievers. Um, and that, that, <laughs> that label kind of fits a lot of the people that we have in the sense that <laughs> they want to do good. They've made, they've made that, but they're never quite like, they're not, there's no arrogance to it. It's a matter of, you know, I've made the commitment. I got to do whatever I can to sort of hit that mark because it's, it's my personal character. It's that's on the line kind of thing. So personal accountability is huge. Responsibility to that is, is good. You know, a lot of people will talk about teamwork being a very important thing, but it's not like, just typical collaboration. It's it's feeling that commitment to your peers that really drives everything forward. So we we do. I know a lot of people say this, but we do spend a fair amount of time looking for the character elements, um, the skills in our industry, especially the type of work that we do. You have to adapt. You have to learn. So it's more about your ability to adapt. It's more about your ability to be flexible. It's more about your ability to follow through than it is about having any given skill at a point in time because chances are you're going to have to learn something new for the next project anyway. That resourcefulness and yeah, like well, you, Joel, you and I were joking before we pushed record. Well, I don't know, but I, I, I can figure it out, and I think that's become so much of our world, and it's been the IT space. Jay, when you mentioned a little bit about you, kind of rhymed off literally all the schools in Halifax. You boom, boom, boom. How much when you guys are hiring, or like, I guess, do you have a tight relationship with the post secondary, and is that a hiring place for you guys, or do you look for people that maybe no, you know, I always joke. I, our agency, we're not your best first hire because we're lean and we're fast and you know, we're, we're your good second job. We're, that's a good place to come once you've got a ground under you. For you guys, are you bringing in brand new people and then modeling them up through the organization into their skills and into themselves? Or, or are you looking for people with a little more experience? Or, or, or again, is it, is it just about the human? <laughs> well, I'll say it's just about the human, but we, we don't discern necessarily on experience. Sure, we love people with experience who come in and add an element uh, of uh, new ideas or experienced ideas out there, but we have a, a very uh, well strong uh, desire to train the next generation, to bring the next generation into this uh, community, specifically in, in Calgary and give people opportunities all across the country. And so during COVID, that was one of the reasons why we ran our internship program. We had um, 12 kids, we delayed it by four weeks. And and part of that reason was, um, you know, people need opportunities. And we've now expressed that differently in in helping people who are on a reskilling path, job change, especially in, in, again, in the Calgary market and giving people opportunities to work in technology to get uh, digital capabilities so that they can go out and, and, and really be a part of this new economic driver. So, yeah, it's people and, and, and it's, it's, it's the experience, but yeah, certainly don't make any, 
any uh, we don't have any limits around who comes into the organization and to tell you the truth those kids I'll call them the kids uh, who come into the organization add a whole different element of ideas and energy that really helps uh, folks who are you know mid-career later in their careers and that collaboration amongst that group and acts as a natural mentoring environment acts like a natural support environment and, and going back to your point is like this team accountability we talked about that really is i mean we have we have our senior you know project leaders asking you know how many kids do i get on my team so that i can you know <laughs> i i want to be a part of this because i want to help that next generation and i think a big part of what our curve is doing today is really about yeah giving people opportunities to continue to live and work in a great city uh and and have opportunities in in, in this yeah, a great new environment, I think. Well, I wouldn't call it new. It's been going on for, like I said, 15 years for us. But. Cycles upon cycles upon cycles. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, so I think that's, right, yeah, that's one energy. of the things. <clears throat> um, uh, sorry, go ahead, Joel. I think to add on to that, sorry, sorry Tyler, I, I think the people that we get coming into the organization that are earlier in their careers, um, that, that sort of culture that we talked about earlier where the team is making commitments, some of these folks are very talented, very ambitious, um, super smart young people, um, and they're looking for an opportunity to prove what they can do. And so fitting into that type of culture where there's a team working together, they have that opportunity to shine, and they're do it's done in a supportive way because they don't have to climb the ladder themselves. They don't have to independently show off. They fit into a team that's supportive of that, and they can perform at the highest part of their skills and then grow with that kind of thing. To your point, a lot of consulting agencies will, will pull in people at their peak powers kind of thing. This is where we want the yeah. grizzled vet who's seen it all and can do everything. What we find is a lot of people just need the opportunity to prove what they can do. And we've had a ton of success bringing in people who are looking for that chance and then literally make the most of it. That's that character element again. They know this is an opportunity. They know what they need to do to make it work. And they've got people around them that they're not scared to go, hey, like, here's a harebrained idea that might solve this problem without being like, oh, come on, I've got 20 years experience. How dare you bring your harebrained schemes to me? And like that is a culture and that's a hierarchy, which sounds clearly like you guys, you said right off the bat. And something I think one of you guys said, I wrote it in our notes from our first phone call, you guys solve wicked problems. So when you think about that, that implies that they're always going to be different. They're always going to be dynamic. They're, it, it, they're always going to be like nailing down jello. So you need a lot of different thinking and perspectives at the table to go, hey, what if we did this? So on that springboard, what are you guys, what are the kind of problems you guys are solving right now? Let's get into maybe a little bit of the technology buzzword bingo. And, uh, you know, I'd like to get, you know, my AI strategy in place so I can maximize my data visualization so that we can really get ML acting on our problems so that we can really drive value and ultimately drive some bottom line revenue for our uh, Q4. Is that, is that, is that, was that good? Did that sound yeah, right? That's, pre that's pretty good. And then, and then, and then we usually, then we usually say, Hey Tyler, uh, well, you need us to help you with all of that because I don't think you know what you're talking about. But, 
But what? How dare you? I've got a senior position. I'm I'm highly paid. I speak loud in meetings. I know what I'm talking about. What are you talking about? <laughs> so with that said, let's let's. What are you guys really working on these days? And what 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 things are? I guess from a technology perspective. So I'm laughing at my own. Wow. I guess I've read too many articles or talked too many people. And that came out of that came right out of nowhere. I know that that was um, that was pretty good. Yeah. What are we What are we actually working on? So I think. Yeah. What are you working on, and what's making a difference for companies today that isn't just on the buzzword list? So I think I think uh, within the last five years, you've seen a lot of that buzzword around the the, the use of the word transformation. People people wanting to apply innovation and transformation to their organization without really having a good sense of how it it would be meaningful. So you go on these uh, uh, strange projects where you're doing some like you said, AI, ML work, but really with no outcomes. And I think what, what we're working on is helping clients design uh, and, and, well, design and architect these solutions that will actually help their businesses applying some of those technologies, but not in the way that it's like, it, it very is a line of business um, problem that you're running into. So, so one of the, you know, one of those areas would be is that you have, an industrial uh, process that that has a lot of data that's associated with it. Uh, can you gather that data and get give yourself en- enough information to improve that industrial process? And is it actually going to yield something valuable? And you do this in very short cycles. You don't you don't spend two years doing an innovation project. You spend three months uh, articulating that problem area, testing it out, vetting it. And then delivering it, and that's really what what is it, what's what's really been the projects we're working on is they are all related to improving the businesses that we're doing this client that that we're doing this work within, and and correlating that technologies appropriately. So I want to be cloud, you know, cloud first or cloud native. Uh, why is a good good question to ask somebody. I want to do some AI. Why <laughs> is a good question. And that's always what we come in is what is it that you're trying to get to do? Not because I need to do AI because everybody's doing it. It's more about, hey, my business could benefit from something related to X, right? And Arkert really is, you know, people can, the team can figure those things out for you and get a practical approach to applying uh, what, you, what you've said, buzzword bingo, right, to it. And we see it all the time. And we say no a lot. Uh, we do say no a lot because a lot of people have some, you know, interesting ideas, but we don't feel like, you know, if, we, if there's not a success factor in, in that engagement, we'll say thanks, but no thanks, right? We, we won't. Well, then it becomes the, yeah. and you become the villain somewhere along that journey, right? You stay uh, around long enough to see yourself become a villain. Well, <laughs> well you project. can, you can, and you, you know, we've seen enough projects in our history to say uh, the, the yield may not, you know, spending two years doing something, uh, uh, building out a solution that you're going to shelve is not a good outcome, right? Reputationally, it doesn't make sense. And from, from our, it, it actually doesn't make sense even from a team satisfaction standpoint. Uh, many of the folks, well, all the folks are really about delivery and and execution, what, what people are going to use. They want to build something that people are going to use. Right? So. And has that been one of the, uh, certainly one of the bigger shifts? I've had multiple guests going going from two years to, to like a two-year initiative to a three-month project. Sorry, sorry, Joel, we got timing issues and I, our video's not working, so I, go ahead. I hate to just, just cut me off if I cut you off. <laughs> 
No, no, it's fine. I was just going to build on that, but go, I think the, the direction you were taking is exactly what I was going to say. It's, it's trying to be practical and, and focus on the, the long tail as opposed to the short-term objectives. Everybody's got the idea of these big, shiny objects, which is the outcome, but sometimes you got to eat your vegetables mm too, right? So you may want to get into ML, you may want to get into AI, but you don't have the data set that does anything there, right? So cleaning it up, integrating things together, collating stuff, that's not the sexy part of the outcome. That's the, the bread right. and butter of it. Yeah. So <laughs> taking an approach of, of being practical, it's, it's tough because you have to talk them through the building blocks aspects of a project as opposed to um, you know, rushing right to that shiny outcome and in, in, to hit my quarterly objectives kind of thing, right? It's, it's a bit of a longer tail look at things. Which our reporting structures and our accountability, sometimes, yeah, our, our, whole, our financial world doesn't lend to long-term thinking sometimes <laughs> in terms of, especially with large organizations that have exactly. quarterly accountabilities. Yeah. 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 And, and achieving the yep. project, achieving the check project checkbox really without any good outcomes is, is not really a result that we, that we find value in for, for the work that we're doing or for other clients. The checkbox doesn't mean anything. Is it going to be, you know, practical, useful, uh, something that, that meets the, the business's uh, objectives at the end of the day? That's really the key. So, so the work, you know, and the work, uh, to, to your point, Tyler, there's lots of areas we are doing what, what now we call digital transformation projects um, it, that, that are moving clients slowly, sometimes in some cases, to, to more a practical approach to how they can adopt newer and newer technologies, cloud, web, mobile, data-centric, you know, all of those things that you hear out there. People are doing it. They are being successful. It is working. It just takes a, a, a practical realist into the approach. <laughs> Would you say if you were going to take a, just a swath or take a slice across a lot of the projects you're working on right now, do a lot of them fall into that foundational, like, let's get your data right, let's clean everything up, let's understand even what you're working with before we even try to understand what problems we may or may not be trying or able to solve. Is that a consistent, like, are we, is that the phase that we're in right now versus the buzzwords of here's the solutions and all the magic they can do? But when you boil right down to it, a lot of companies are still getting the fundamentals right. Is that is that a safe statement? Yeah, I would say a lot of our enterprise clients are in that space, right? Okay. Because we want to do okay. that. But they're, they're, again, they're being more pragmatic about it. You know, prior to this, there's a lot of innovation projects going on, you know, four or five years ago that were really about, let's get, let's hit the home runs, right? Let's go hit the home runs. And those, I'm not sure how that worked out for most folks. And so now there's a more practical approach to it. So, but it is any project we get into, regardless of how mature a client feels they're at, it yeah, it sometimes gets back to fundamentals, integration, data, um, technology platforms. Even now with security and 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 um, just an approach to understanding how what your posture is. In, 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 being prepared for what what's coming next, right? Those are all things that mm. that that uh, that we run into, right? It's just part of those those uh, the natural evolution, and this evolution has been, like I said, expedited because of of COVID. Because <laughs> of COVID, yeah. the universal accelerator. 
either of you kind of what's your guys perspective we're in calgary we're back up hundred dollar oil things feel positive there's a buzz we've got this you know slowly growing but very much an emerging tech ecosystem we've got funding coming in uh, what are you guys seeing out there on the street with like uh, in terms of you've been you've been here for years jay you joked earlier the roller coaster the cycles whatever you want to call it living in western canada things seem to be in a nice in a, in a positive i've been doing this show for two years it's just a there's more startups to talk to. There's more angels and pre-seed uh, money going into some of these startups. From your guys' perspective of, li and a lot of them are technology-based, yeah. what are you guys seeing out there? What's your view of this you know, overused word ecosystem uh, in Calgary when it comes to this building a tech ecosystem, being a tech hub? Anyway, sorry, I'll stop with the buzzwords. You know, you know what I'm asking. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, so, so this has been going on, obviously, since 2014, 2015. Uh, well, it's been going on longer than that. 2006, we talked about the tech. Um, tech is a diversification mm -hmm. strategy, but but over the last five six years, there's been a lot of um, buzz and organizations. Well, I'll say both provincially and municipally uh, organizations that are trying to um, uh, incubate the the space and and. What it's what what's really been the change recently is the actual companies that are building and doing uh, building their tech platforms and building their teams here in Calgary has has driven the growth of the ecosystem and it is growing okay. right and you've seen that with the Benevities and the Absorbs and uh, Samand and Atabotics and all those organizations yeah but it took those types of organizations, and you're seeing more and more, as, as, as you've said, right? Uh, that's really what's going to drive a growth here, right? Because uh, you, you need to see successes for people to invest. You need uh, to see the successes of the capability of the people, the talent that are that is available here, and the ability for that ecosystem to work together. So those are the peers that you know I have in, in the community. They're all doing some mm -hmm. pretty interesting things, and I think it's going somewhere now. The hundred dollar oil problem problem let's say the issue <laughs> no i like how you're choosing your words <laughs> yeah as it's not it's not it doesn't feel the same to me in terms of people just jumping off the tech bandwagon back onto the energy bandwagon i think there's a very deliberate approach is let's let's think about it differently let's have a longer term strategy there's value here, but it, it's much more difficult for people to, to to look at it. And I think people have left the industry, had to, right, because of the job losses, yep. and they've changed their their viewpoints, and um, they've started working in, in these other places. And, and I think we get hung up on the ideas that, that there's also th that, oh, it's only like software developers or engineers. It's all sorts of people who can work in, in, in knowledge uh, roles and so we see mm. lots of people transitioning to jobs within the tech industry. We're never going to create uh, the technology ecosystem is not going to be able to create the same number of jobs. Certainly not fill the same number of spaces downtown. Yeah. But it is growing, burgeoning. I think there's some great stories, and and I think we continue to see that grow. And it needs to be parallel with with the energy industry, which is also has to evolve. And you're seeing it already. More companies are are taking or designing their organizations to be more ESG compliant, to be uh, better stewards, right, uh, as it were, uh, of, of the climate 
And even though those things are a challenge, I see companies investing in those things. And, and I think that that's going to be really, it's our bread and butter. It's, it's been, the, it's been where, where we came from. And I think we can be world leaders, world-class leaders still in, in energy and in technology. And I'm definitely seeing both of those things going happening. Well, we're adding with technology, we're adding another horse to the race that is complementary to all the, to all the other sectors, whether it's ag or whether, you know, or, or energy, which are things we're clearly known for, but the underpinning of technology, not being a sector, but being a, a force multiplier for all of those. Joel, your perspective on, you know, is, are we at a place now that this grow or this swell, this groundswell of technology firms and people getting into the space and new software developers and new just technology people, let's call them that because Jay, I agree with you. It doesn't just mean you have to be a software developer. Is that helping hiring or hindering hiring? Is How's the, ta- how is, how's the arms race out there for talent? Because that's certainly something I hear. But we're also building up. So there's a point where I'm assuming it'll start to not, it'll still always be tight for good talent. But the more we add to the mix, the more volume we create. As, as, what, what are you seeing from just flat out looking for jobs, looking for employees, I should say? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, is, it is an interesting evolution. Um, I mean, ultimately, you have to follow the money to a certain degree. It is a challenge, like mm-hmm. you said, an arms race. Um, but I think I'm a firm believer in, in, you have to trust the process, right? And so Jay highlighted a few companies that were local. Um, and you used to hear about the startup world being centered around, oh, so-and-so started an exploration company and then sold it to a big producer and that's how they made their fortune. Um, you need some of those things to convert in the tech space too, so that people can see the outcomes there. These startups will show that there's an alternative path for people to do things that they enjoy instead of just following the the tried and true, quote unquote, roller coaster. Um, so I, I it, it is challenging. Um, the the $100 barrel oil is great for the, for the overall, but it does make competition tough because it, it puts more resources into the pockets of people that want to hire the same people that as you do. Um, mm. But again, trusting the process, you have to focus on the people. You have to focus on what people want to do. What are they actually trying to achieve? And I think there's a better sense in the city now of people wanting to do different stuff, interesting things, solve different problems. Um, and that diversity is good. There's always going to be a place for, for all of these things, like you said, but the idea that they can complement each other um, is pretty important. So you can you can cut your teeth in one industry and then potentially um, carry it forward in, in another domain. And so many conversations I've had about recruiting and about bringing talent to town, it's not about the job I'm coming for, it's what's my next three jobs. And if you can do that and move from different, you know, Jay, you talked about giving people opportunities and getting them in and getting them exposed to something, but there's nothing to say they can't take that knowledge and that, that intellectual capital they've created and take it to another industry where those skills are relevant, but it's in a different space because maybe it's solving a clean tech problem versus solving a you know, data problem. But again, it's still both data problems, right? It's still, still both how you can do that. And I think that's exciting uh, as we have a bigger critical mass it'll make it easier for top and mid to top tier talent to stay here and not feel they have to go somewhere else to get that next job. I certainly, that's a theme I'm hearing time and time again. Well, well, I think it's, it, it is the theme and, and the, yeah. the challenge for people is, is, is definitely there, but to give people opportunities, what we really want to see at the end of the day is from the folks that have become our curvians and they'll always be our curvians, no matter where they go 
is that they're going out and founding the next six, seven, thirty companies, right? That they're creating opportunities and jobs and innovation and really driving uh, driving the next generation of growth here. Um, and and this is in all of our centers. Hopefully that that happens. And so you have to kind of well, not kind of. You have to look at it that way. Um, because yes, to your point, you're you're really trying to to give people a opportunity, a stepping stone, and it could be their se- first stepping stone, it could be their last one, but it's something that we're really <laughs> really cr- focused on. Right? And obviously, we'd love to people to s- stay with us for forty years, but <laughs> we'll we'll see how that. Or goes. they can go and they can come <laughs> back, and yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely, the alumni program. You're always at our Caribbean. <laughs> yeah. Uh, last question for both of you, and I'll get Jay. I'll give it to you first, and then Joel, I'll throw it to you. Uh, my magic wand question: If you could wave a magic wand, and we'll pick on Alberta for sure, because that's kind of where the bulk of our audience is. What 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 would we what we wave our magic wand? Something gets better, something gets removed, a barrier gets knocked out of the path. What uh, what what would you do with your ma- magic wand? You got you got one wave, Jay. Maybe two. You can wave as many times as you want. It's your magic wand. <laughs> what, what 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 would you what what would you do to to? Uh, I love being positive about Alberta, but I realize we also there's areas where we can you know get out of our way or reduce friction anything that comes to mind for you well you know uh, to be an optimist in this particular case i think we are actually at the the wand is being waved and i think there you've seen this burgeoning ecosystem that is across the board so you have you know uh, health innovation projects that are going on you've got this technology project innovations you've got um, that even in the in the energy business, you got this transition right uh, happening, and so all of those things are really positives. And and what my magic wand is always has to do with governments and their inability to um, support or interfere. I guess they have the ability to interfere and and the inability to support. And how how could we fix that? Right is to have more people who are capable in those areas to understand what companies actually need, like private organizations that, that are building as opposed to, uh, you know, as opposed to governments trying to, to do that themselves. So get out of the business of, of trying to build uh, and support the builders is what I'm saying. <laughs> They're notoriously not good at it. That's my personal opinion. I, I have a similar magic wand about that. Okay, just get out of the way and then make my life easier exactly. as a private business. Exactly. And that should be your only job. That should be your <laughs> only agree job. With you more. Yeah. Joel, what's your, uh, what, do you, what do you got on your magic wand list for, uh, for, t- for this uh, sunny Tuesday morning? <laughs> Um, I, I would say it's in a similar vein. I think for, for, for me, if, if I could, the magic wand would be just give people a better perspective that this, this, the solutions to where, or, or not the solutions, the, the mechanism to get where we all want to get to doesn't have to be all or nothing. It doesn't have to be binary. I think we would all be better off if we, like, if we worked, trust, trust the process, worked together, and just kind of, like to Jay's point, supported that. I think if we stepped back from our own individual agendas and, um, looked at the holistic a little bit more often, we'd be a lot better for it. And so in that sense, interference versus support, again, I think a lot of those things drive because of, it's, it's not, it's not a personal thing. It's, it's, um, influence. It's, uh, again, agendas it gets in the way a lot of the time. And I, I don't blame government specifically. I don't, I, I, I think it's a shared responsibility that we all have to, that we're, 
where um, my way is the right way, <laughs> and therefore every other way has to be wrong. I, I don't think it's that simple. <laughs> so I, I think it's just a little bit better perspective. Uh, yes, on, the, po- the polarization of right versus wrong. Yeah, it's a non-binary solution. And I think the best way is always, for me, usually the middle path. And the more <laughs> options there are, the better. So I think an acceptance of that would be my magic wand. I appreciate that, gentlemen. Those are two. Things just got a lot shinier and the sun got a lot brighter with if both those if, if both those magic wands were flown around. Um, gentlemen, I love the conversation. I love you guys' candor. I love what you're doing. It's great just to get to know you and understand a bit the role of our curve and the role that you guys are playing in our society. And I really appreciate you know the the hard conversations, but the philosophy of what makes what makes you you. So, Joel, someone's dying to get a job with you guys after listening to this. What's the best way for them to reach out and get connected with you? Mm. Um, there's multiple mechanisms online. You can go to the website. You can follow us on any social media platform. You can find me on LinkedIn. Um, and our recruiting team is always easily accessible. So um, look for us. (laughs) Yeah. Nice, yeah. Our, yeah, go check out ourcurve.com. You guys got a great site. It looks, it, it just the, your, handi, your your landing page. You, you guys do cool stuff. That's very obvious. You guys have captured that well. Jay, what's the best way for somebody to reach out, get a hold of you if they want to have a chat or invite you to a party so you don't That's feel great. left out? You know, uh, obviously, yeah, through through LinkedIn is, is one of the, the best <laughs> options, and certainly info at ourcurve.com. And you, you, those things are read by the entire organization, at least the entire business development organization, and so we. Certainly respond to them. I'm happy to meet uh, anybody and everybody who's trying to do something to make change, positive change in the city um, and and across the country. And so, yes, happy to to chat. That's one of the one of the benefits of being in my position. So, ah, that's amazing. Thank you both for your time. Thanks for the awesome work you do, and thanks for being on the show. Thanks, gentlemen. Thanks, Holly. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity.